And welcome back, sports fans. It's another episode of Coach Hess's Sports Corner. I am your host, Coach Donnie Hess, here back with my faithful and awesome co-host, Mr. Brad Croston. Brad, how you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty well, Donnie. It's been quite a whirlwind journey over the sports world over the past couple of days, especially coming into this new week with everything that's been going on. And boy, do we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Oh, oh, man, you are not kidding me. A 72-hour period that I cannot wait to hear your opinion on how this goes. Let's jump into the game plan, and then we'll hop right into it. Our game plan, we will, we will go with our usuals. We'll start off in football, and lordy, do we have a couple of dandy topics to talk about here. We'll go to the NHL. We are winding down, getting closer and closer to that magical time of the year that is playoff hockey. And then down to Australia to check out our other favorite sport, talking footy and last but not least are the critically acclaimed and always award-winning our favorite mr brad croston's crazy sports stat of the week sir i mean let's let's just jump right into it let's throw let's throw our swimsuits on and jump headfirst into this over the weekend a 72 hour insanity enraging so many interesting words to describe this as plans leaked out for a super league involving six Premier League teams, three English, uh, three Spanish League teams, and three Italian League teams comes out Friday night just before some of the first games in the Premier League saying that they are going to break away and start their own European Super League with their own rules, their own kind of basically change to the Champions League. And let's just safe to say it did not go over very well. And for the next 72 hours, football really was an ever-changing platform, especially in England, in Spain, and in Italy. Sir, I got to ask, I mean, what was your first thoughts when you hear six Premier League teams, three Italian teams, and three Spanish teams want to break away and start their own European Super League? You know, there had been talks about this happening for quite some time, and nothing ever really formally materialized up until now. And, God, you you, you said it pretty well, Donnie. It was just a 72-hour period of insanity. So they announced the teams on Saturday night into Sunday morning. And then the next day, pretty much all out warfare between the supporters of these clubs and the supporters of mostly English football, but football around the world, really. And then the next day, clubs start to pull out slowly. Chelsea pulls out and then Manchester City pulls out and then Tottenham pulls out and then all the other English teams pull out. And then the Spanish teams start breaking away. And then Andre Agnelli, the president of Juventus, says, eh, we can't really do this now. And so for Florentino Perez, the owner of Real Madrid, and all the owners of all these, all these proposed Super League teams, let me just say this. Ha, ha, ha. You got what you deserve. And this just goes to show you do not go to war with football fans because football fans will win every time, every, every topic, whatever it is, this is a sport. And, and really in all sports, sports are about the fans and Sir Matt Busby, the former manager of Manchester United, one of the legends of football said it best football without fans is nothing. And what this move by all these owners really did was alienate all of their fans and we're talking about not just six or 12. We're not talking about just 12, like, good teams, you know, like a, like a fourth to 10th place team. These are teams that have won multiple European Cups each. These are teams that are regularly at the top of the Champions League, always competing in the domestic leagues, always doing everything that they need to do in terms of on-field performance. And they're alienating such an enormous fan base. And since then, we've seen so many enormous protests and, de- and demonstrations by fans, by Liverpool fans outside of Ellen Road before their match against Leeds, Tottenham fans with banners saying Levy out, and all of these different things. It's just, it goes to show that when you have a bunch of greedy old men who go up against millions and millions of football fans, there's no way you can win. 
Well, and the biggest thing that I, I kept hearing is is that so many of these owners and, and the carnage didn't just end with this thing falling apart. Ed Woodward is now out at Manchester United, which many Manchester United fans would actually say this was one of the few positive things to come out of this is because he many, many people blame him for the fall of, of the club. But for me, it was just kind of like I looked at this and I went. How can you even make the audacious claim that you were doing, like, I think it was Real Madrid's president said he was doing it for the betterment of football, that football needed this. And I'm just like, no, you want this because you want money, more money in your pocket. If you really look at it, you're, you're, you're destroying the Champions League as we know it. And, and the other argument that I, I've seen kind of pulled off, and, and I completely agree with it, if I think of the great teams of Europe, I don't think of Arsenal and Spurs right now. I don't. And I'm being legitimately honest with you. And there's three clubs that they said they were still holding spots for with a total of 15. The two German, the two German giants in, in Borussia Dortmund and Bayern München, and then the French giant PSG. And they quite intelligently stayed ahead of this. PSG came out and said, we're not doing it. I've, I've heard rumors just because of some of, the, some of the people that run PSG are connected with the FIFA president, so that made a lot of sense. But there was one name that I never heard in this entire argument that has a lot of European lore. They're not massive now, but nobody seemed to talk about it and that why Ajax wasn't involved. I mean, they were the Dutch champions for so many years. They've won several European Cups and, and or now what we would consider Champions League now before it was. But the fact that they weren't even involved. So it's kind of one of those where it's like you're saying you want this European Super League, but really all it is 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 the most expensive or money-hungry owners in Europe, really. Because in the long run, when Germany and France didn't have any representatives in the original 12, all you had was Italy, Spain, and England. It was kind of a farce to say European Super League. I mean, it was a three-country Super League, if you're really honest with you. So European so, with an asterisk, European yeah. quotation mark, just the ones that we want, unquote, Champions League, whatever. Exactly. And, and, then the fa- and then the fact that the founding members would never be relegated. I'm just like, well, where's the competition in this? Like, I don't understand. Like, I just legitimately don't understand. Well, we're going to give five spots for people to come in by invitation. How how or why would you want to join this group when there's nothing to gain because you're not guaranteed to stay? That's like that's like going to a job like a new a new job where you're going in and everybody there has worked with each other for like 20 years and you're just like going in like kind of like uh, I don't really want to get get in the way of the boys club or whatever this is. It's mm-hmm. just like what the heck are you doing? Talk about for the betterment of the game. Be quiet. Well, and then the other part about it is, is it, it's kind of like it's kind of like this. It's is they said that the the English teams wanted to stay in the Premier League. They still wanted to compete for trophies. I'm like, well, that's like moving out of your house, but still wanting your dinner. mother to pay you, to pay you an allowance or make your dinner. It just like I, I almost. I know FIFA and UEFA are not exactly everybody's friends, okay? But how they kind of responded was the best way. They basically said, uh-uh, we don't think so. And when I think when they put down the sanctions of players were not going to be able to play in the Euros, in the Champions League, in the UEFA Cups, in any of the Cups, and then also potentially the World Cup, I think that woke up a lot of players. And to see Klopp, Guardiola, Milner from the Liverpool, and many of the players on these teams basically say, yeah, we weren't even told about this. I mean, that really kind of, it made this whole thing blow up in these owners' faces, and it was spectacular to watch. And I, and, and I don't think that we're done with the fallout from this yet either. I mean, oh, no. since then, we, we've seen, you, see, you said Woodward is out at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's talk about... I think I heard talk about a couple of other high-level people at a couple of other clubs getting sacked. And they've since also – UEFA has announced re- revamped Champions League from 2024 onward. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we're going to see more fallout in terms of the owners and seeing whether or not any of these owners are going to have to do something about their stakes in their clubs. Because what I also heard was – that they're being asked to step off of Premier League subcommittees 
mm-hmm. by other st- other stakeholders. So yep. I think that we're far from seeing the end of this whole saga. I think that this is going to be, I think that this could potentially be the spark for a lot of other widespread changes about European football. And some of them we're going to, we're just going to have to wait and see because it could be a very like, could be a very wide ranging array of things that could change. Well, and these leagues too, they can still sanction these teams. I mean, they, there's, there's no, there's nothing saying that they can't sanction them for making this absolutely ridiculously ignorant move. I mean, if you just look at it, I mean, Manchester United, Man City, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs are all, If I, I'd be a tiny bit concerned because if they want to, there could be some hefty fines. You could even see point deductions if the English Premier, Premier League or even the FA want to do something. So I agree with you. I, I do not think this is over by any means necessary. And might I also just add that three of the six English teams that were invited into this Super League are currently right now outside of the top four to qualify for next season's Champions League. Tottenham, Liverpool, and Arsenal are sixth, seventh, and ninth, respectively. Mm-hmm. So... Super League, eh, I don't know. And with Liverpool and Arsenal potentially not even making Europa League where they're at right now. Exactly. That's how crazy that is. At this present point, Leicester Leicester and West Ham are both in the European spots as we speak currently. In fact, actually, you want to know what? Let's make that great transition. That's a great – let's jump in. Since we've been talking about the Champions League, we've talked about the Super League, we talked about Europa, a lot of things have kind of changed in in some of these big leagues. So let's let's do a real quick roundup. Let's take a look at how some of these European leagues are doing as we speak, as we go into – this weekend's round of play let's jump into the english premier league where man city i mean you hate saying it i mean let's let's give them the cup because this thing's pretty much over they've got an 11 point lead over manchester united yes man united has a game in hand but there's only five games left in this regular season i i have a hard time believing anybody's going to be able to catch man city and uh a tumultuous and very interesting english premier league looks to uh kind of be over yeah the 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 race in that league right now is going to be for the last couple of european spots from third down um we're really just looking to see whether or not leicester can hold on at third chelsea's in fourth west ham are in fifth Uh, of all teams west ham who were in a relegation fight last year in potentially champions league territory right now so that how how amazing would that would would that be just to Mm -hmm. possibly see leicester city and West Ham United playing Champions League football. I mean, just like, like 10 years ago. And go, go there and tell me that we're going to see Leicester City and West Ham in the Champions League. That, that would have been a crazy statement to make back then. But now it's reality. And David Moyes has really helped change the culture at West Ham. And Brendan Rodgers and everybody at Leicester have done a great job. So they're in contention. And whether or not the experiment of bringing all that new talent into Chelsea, we'll have to see whether that pays off or not. That'll be quite interesting. The English Premier League, now I think the biggest question will be is can Liverpool get themselves into a European spot, let alone the Champions League spot? I mean, I think Arsenal is too far back to get there. I think Leicester, I think Leicester, Chelsea, West Ham, I mean, there's such a, a cluster there between third to seventh. There's still a three-point gap. So with five games still to play, there is still a shot Liverpool could get there, but it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to pretty much win most of their games and then hope for a little bit of help to be able to point their way in. We will have to see. I'm looking forward to it. Um, let's let's jump over. We'll jump down to La Liga. And man, since the last time we talked about La Liga, have these have these standings changed? The last time that we talked La Liga, Atletico Madrid. I mean, we were almost crowning them champions at the time. And I we look were. at the and I look at the standings now, and who's on top? Real Madrid is on top. Now, that is because of goal difference as we speak. Atletico Madrid still do have a game in hand, but oh my gosh, has this thing changed? At the time, we also, last time we talked, Barcelona was up to fourth. They are still in fourth, only five points back. They should still be able to qualify for Champions League, but it looks like this is a two-horse race down between Atletico and Real Madrid. It's very, very interesting. This Real Madrid team has been kind of, slowly quietly and methodically 
getting their way back into this championship race and could still have a chance to win a La Liga title. And honestly, Barcelona are still in it too. Real Madrid's on 32 games played. Barcelona's on 30. So right now, if Barcelona were to play those two games in hand against Real and win both of them, they'd be on top. So it's really anybody's race right now. And Sevilla hanging around there in third place right now at 67 points on 32 played. This is really anybody's ball game. So first through fourth is pretty much locked up right now. And those are going to be the Champions League spots. But then you're talking about Real Batiste right now in a potential European spot in the Europa League. Them and Villarreal are tied on 49 Mm -hmm. uh, for fifth and sixth right now. So it's going to be really interesting seeing those two go at it. All right, yep, yeah. and just yeah, I'm going to be thoroughly intrigued to watch this because with with several teams still on the chance to win a title, it is great to see a title race there. Let's hop over. We'll fly over to the boot over to Italy, and one of them that the last time we talked, this was quite an interesting race. Unfortunately, since the last time we have talked, this has gotten a tiny bit out of hand as Inter, Internacional, has taken their ability to not have European football and have completely and absolutely capitalized it as they now have a 10-point lead over Milan and an 11-point lead over Juventus. Wow, how quickly a couple months can change these tables. Yeah, the consistency of Inter has just been an just been incredible and they've been able to run. I think it's, I think it's what now 16 games they've gone unbeaten. So that's half of their season that they've gone unbeaten. So when you can do that, that's, that's a recipe for success. And they're going to, they're likely as it stands right now, going to walk away with the title. Of course, they have to keep at it till the very end because we've got Milan and Juve right behind them. So you got to be careful, but it's been just impressive what Antonio Conte has been able to do with that inter team been able to revitalize them with Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku and all the rest of those players there. They got Ivan Perisic back from Bayern when he went on loan, and he's been a great influence. And Christian Eriksen as well has been there helping out in the midfield. So this is an inter team that has been revitalized by Conte, and he's done a very good job. And it looks like right now they should be on their way to a Scudetto. Yeah, which is kind of crazy that Juventus's run will finally end in spectacular form. And the fact that Juventus is third on the table right now is quite an interesting. Um, the biggest question will be, is is, Pier, is Pirlo in any danger or are they going to let him have a headache year to get this through? We'll have to see. I know there's been rumors now that maybe Cristiano Ronaldo will find his way out of Turin. We will have to see, but we, we will address that as that comes up. Now, sir, we'll jump over to your neck of the woods, one of the leagues that you keep an eye on majorly, and that's maybe because your team tends to be quite, quite very good in the German Bundesliga. So I, I was going to let you, I was going to let you compliment them and not trying to make it seem like it's Bayern TV from my end. I, I will I will let you I will let you quite humbly brag on this is that. Um, where, where are your beloved Bayern Munich? And then I have to say, I am surprised to see Borussia Dortmund in fifth in the German Bundesliga. I mean, right now, if I, if I, if I'm not sure, is it, is it four or three German teams at the top of the league automatically qualify for the Champions League? It'll be four. So right now it's Bayern Leipzig, Wolfsburg, and Frankfurt who are in the Champions League spots right now with Dortmund four points behind Frankfurt right now. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not Dortmund can get back into the Champions League spots and whether or not Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg are able to hold on as well. Um, And then this one is the one that very well could be decided this weekend. If Leipzig lose and Bayern win, then that's enough for them to be able to to become champions of Germany once again. And then down at the bottom, we got to to say it, Schalke have been relegated for the first time since 1988. And this is a team that has been regularly playing Champions League football over the past decade, have produced the likes of Zane, Neuer, Ozil, and several other key players in the German national team. They are heading to the Zweite Liga for the first time since 88. Absolutely insane. It's hard to see such a big club go down, but maybe this will help revitalize them a little bit. We jump from Germany. We always going to talk for the one of the few times we'll, we'll do this because normally this isn't much of a conversational conversational league, but let's go to France. And I have to say, sir, that, that um, 
I thought I was, I, I, I miss saw this when I first, when I first put this on, but it is not PSG at the top of the table. I have to say, I am surprised. Now it is only a one point gap. They have played the same amount of games, but I got to say it. Lille is on the top of league. Uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pulling for Lille on this one because it would be absolutely amazing to see this. I mean, even if PSG finds a way to win a champions league title, it would be kind of we. It'd be kind of interesting if they don't win. If they don't win league, uh, but they win the Champions League. I mean, if I were a PSG fan, I would take that. I mean, I would gladly sacrifice a league on title for a Champions League. But we got it. We got to throw some love to the Concacaf guys. Jonathan David, their leading scorer with ten goals from Canada. He's been the spark in the Lille machine. Him and Timothy Wea, of course, is a player on that team as well. He's got three goals. And former Bayern player Renato Sanchez is on there as well. So Lille have a lot of talent in that squad, and they definitely deserve to be on top with their, their impressive record. They've only got three losses on the whole season, 20 wins and 10 draws. They've just been able to constantly get points out of games, and they've been able to kind of put PSG a little bit, of, a little bit on a back burner in Ligue 1 and potentially go and take that league title. But then, like you said, PSG are still in the hunt for that Champions League title, and they're going to be going up against a very, very tough Manchester City team in the next round. And it's going to be a very, very interesting proposition that potentially, potentially PSG could go trophyless in those in those two competitions. But at the same time, they could also win both of them or split. So we'll mm-hmm. have to wait and see on that one. But Lille in first, and of course Monaco and Lyon are following them in third and fourth, respectively. And those are going to be qualifying and Europa League spots, respectively. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. All righty. And I think that is going to do it for just a real quick check on how the big five in the in the uh, in, in Europe are doing. Let's get back over. We had a nice little re- we we did a review show. We got to do it. Let's come back to the states. Round one, MLS. Wow, some some very interesting, interesting results in here. So I got to ask, looking over this entire round real quickly, biggest surprise, most dominant performance, and who is your biggest disappointment of these games this round? Is it crazy for me to say that my answer to that is going to be all three of those in the same game? Uh, let's hear it. Uh my most dominating performance is Seattle. My most disappointing is Minnesota. And my biggest shock is the margin of victory. I mean, I, I, I said it. I said Minnesota would finish at the top of the Western Conference. And boy, did they lay an egg. They, 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 they took the full brunt of the Seattle machine in that second half. Rui Diaz with two goals. And Freddie Montero coming back to Seattle and scoring his first Seattle goal in nine years. Freddie Montero, Sounders legend, coming back to the squad. But I don't think this is necessarily a reason to push the panic button for Minnesota. Like like I said, this is going to be a long year. We got a lot of football left to play. But this is a very disappointing performance for Minnesota and a very resounding victory for Seattle. It's going to put them right at the top of the Western Conference. But there were a couple of other really interesting scorelines. Um, LAFC beat the new kids on the block from ATX 2-0, and that was a that was an interesting game in itself with Carlos Vela getting, quote, subbed out through injury. And then Bob Bradley during the middle of the match on, a, on an interview says, uh, I may have messed up, guys. <clears throat> and so they're, they're going to have to deal with that. We're going to have to wait and see on whether or not Carlos Vela is going to be out for any length of time or, or whether or not he's fine. But another one of the big surprises for me came at Inter-Miami losing 3-2 to LA Galaxy and Chicharito with two goals. That was a huge performance by LA. And the game that never was from last year, the the famous opening of the Drive Pink Stadium in, in Miami, and LA goes and lays lays a bit of a smack on them. They were, they were able to come out with the win and got a goal from Sasha Kleschen right at the end too. His first goal is a member of LA Galaxy. So there were a lot of, a lot of interesting storylines throughout MLS in match day one. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And another one that kind of shocked me a little bit is seeing Vancouver go to Vancouver beat Portland one nil was was an interesting. Seeing Columbus Crew, Philadelphia Union play to a nil nil draw. Uh, DC United beating New York City FC two one. Kansas City King, your your favorite sporting Kansas City finds a way to win two one in New York. 
And then Orlando City and Atlanta playing to a nil-nil draw. So, so quite some interesting score lines. But another uh, one I, that actually, I'll, I'll tell you, another one that actually really piqued my interest was the Nashville Cincy game, two all in that one. And mm-hmm. we saw a couple of really interesting players score. We got Lucho in his first game back in MLS scoring, and Brenner scoring off of a penalty kick for Cincinnati, and then Cadiz and Leal scoring for Nashville. So we got both of those teams getting a two-two draw in their first match. And that was a really interesting and really entertaining game to watch too. Yeah. That Cincy game is crazy since he scores two times in the first 15 minutes of the game. And then Nashville gets one in the 19th and then they wait all the way until the 63rd before finally tying it. And the team split the points, but a very interesting, interesting one. And then probably what I would say, one of the bigger shocks and maybe just because I like when when guys like Alexi Lawless get and get proved to be completely incorrect, and that's Montreal Club de Football. Montreal beats Toronto four two in a couple of pretty pretty goals scored in this game. So I, I was You're not, not kidding. I was not expecting that at all. To, so a nice start from Montreal, even though they have to play. I think it's in Jacksonville. I think is where they're playing. Um, until the Canadian border gets gets kind of figured out, um, which unfortunately might take a little bit longer than we originally expected. But a, a very good round of, of football here at MLS and just an absolute cracker to start round two. I mean, how excited are you, Kansas City, Sporting Kansas City hosting Orlando City? Donnie, I will be there. I will be at Children's Mercy Park for that game, and I cannot wait. I don't care if I get rained on. I am so excited. First live match in five months. I was at the playoff game against San Jose when we won in penalties. So it's always a fun time going down to Children's Mercy Park. So it'll be a very interesting game. And against a very tough Orlando team, yes, they're going to be without Pato. But it's still going to be a very tough ask. Uh, we're going to have to see whether or not Alan Polito and Johnny Russell are going to be closer to match fit. They, they came off the bench in the later half of the uh, game against Red Bulls. But there are a couple of other really good matchups to look forward to. The matchup at 5 o'clock on Saturday, LAFC versus Seattle. Mm-hmm. Matchup of the Western Conference final from a couple of years ago where Seattle shocked the world and went into L.A. and won. Um, a rebound game for Minnesota against RSL. That's going to be one that they're going to feel like they really need to win. And then a tricky inner Miami team. They're going to be going up to Philadelphia to play against the reigning supporters shield winners in the union. And then later on, we're going to end up getting back into the CONCACAF champions league come next week too. Yeah. Cannot wait. A couple of cracking games there. Cannot wait to see a couple of them. That, that LAFC Seattle Sounders game is going to be quite a, quite a tasty little treat there Saturday late afternoon. So I think that is going to do it for our section on football. Let's hop on over. We'll hop into the ice and sir, we are getting closer and closer to playoff hockey. The trade deadline is come and it has gone. And oh boy, I mean, it is just getting tighter and tighter. These matchups are getting closer and closer. And my favorite time of the year will be playoff hockey. I cannot wait to go over the bracket with you, sir, to see who is going to do what in this. So let's just quickly go over how these conferences and regions are looking. Let's go down to the Central Conference. Unfortunately, it looks like Chicago is slowly fading that those Dallas games in hands are really coming back to bite them as Dallas is now only one point behind Nashville for the last spot in the Central Conference. For you, sir, I mean, are are you still are you going to be okay that Chicago looks like they might just fall just a tiny bit short of the playoffs? Hey, it's going to be it's going to hurt a little bit just because I know how much playoff hockey really just drives a player and just drives the team to be able to play at their best. And it's just always a great joy to be able to watch him play in the playoffs. But I, I think that if it ends up being the top three right now in Carolina, Florida, Tampa, and then what we probably anticipated at the beginning of the season, it looks like it's going to become more and more increasingly likely that it'll be Dallas in that fourth spot. Um, that would be what we anticipated, I think, early on in the season. So I, I wouldn't be devastated, but I would definitely hope that we're going to be able to put up a little bit more of a fight over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's going to be quite interesting. Let's hop up to the north, and I have to say it, Toronto is fading as the Winnipeg Jets are now only 
four points back of Toronto. I mean, it's pretty much, I mean, there's only a six point, there's only a six point gap between Calgary and Montreal, but those two games in hands could be absolutely crucial. I really, really believe this will be the four teams in the playoffs, but I mean, Toronto is coming back to the group. Winnipeg is catching them. They're only four points back still with a game in hand. So this is still not over. Winnipeg could still have a chance to win this North division. Yeah, I, I've always been a little bit of a fan of Winnipeg, and they're they're very sneaky good. I mean, they're they've never been the team that'll go and beat you with absolute superstar power. They're they're a really good unit, and I think that the addition of Dubois and getting Line a out, I think actually helps helps them out in the long run, and they've actually really helped out, and they've they've kind of improved a bit. Uh, as much as it kind of pained me to see Line a have to go. I think that this has been a really good addition for the Jets and being able to bring Dubois in. And just their entire team has been really consistent throughout the whole year. And they're keeping pace. They're going blow for blow with the Leafs right now. And then the Oilers right behind them and the Canadians right behind them too. They're looking like, like you said, it's going to be those four probably. Um, but Calgary, you can't count them out. And then Vancouver, they're, they're kind of hanging around a little bit. If they can get a little bit of a run, they might be able to challenge Montreal if they can run, rattle off a couple of wins in a row, but they got to, they got to improve and they got to keep winning going down the stretch. And then Ottawa picking up the pack down there with 36, they're probably going to be out, but yeah, it looks like it's Toronto and Winnipeg right now who are going to be the teams to beat in the North. Yeah, for sure. The top up to the East. And as much as I want to focus on my team, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to even take the time. I, I, I'm thankfully seeing them win a few more games. They at least look like they might get a respectable points total at the end of this year. But let's focus on the top part of the bracket. And Philadelphia, unfortunately, I, I, I highly doubt they're going to find a way to make up 11 points with only 13 with only 13 games to go. I really think this these four teams of Boston, Pittsburgh, New York Islanders, and Washington will be the four representing the East in the playoffs. A, a fun, fun set of four here that are going to get after each other. I cannot wait. The Rangers are still six points back, but unfortunately, with two game with Boston having two games in hand, I just I really have a hard time seeing the Rangers making up the points that they are going to need to make the playoffs. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot like the North. I think most of the playoff spots are pretty close to being locked up. We'll hop out to the West and kind of like we said the week before, it, it's going to come down to Arizona and St. Louis. And it is, it is only one point, but St. Louis has three games in hand with only one point still to get. And that gives St. Louis a very good shot of jumping back over Arizona for that final spot. Vegas and Colorado are continuing to fight over the number one seed, Minnesota, hanging nice and pretty there in the third spot in the West. So I think those three teams are pretty safely into the playoffs. It will be, is it St. Louis or Arizona that joins them um, at this present point? And I, I really kind of feel like it will be the Blues finding their way into the playoffs as we speak. So, I mean, I'm some of these matchups, I mean, if we were to go into the playoffs right now, you'd have Nashville versus Carolina, Florida versus Tampa. That's a couple of really good matchups there. We'd have Montreal v. Toronto, Winnipeg versus Edmonton. Very, very good matchups there. Washington, Boston, the New York Islanders, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then rounding it out, if, if we go as we speak, Arizona versus Vegas and Colorado versus Minnesota, some mouth-wateringly good games of hockey there come the playoffs. I cannot wait for it. Um, wow, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to this. And you, Brad? Yeah, I think right now it's really just going to come down to the seeding order and what it's going to look like in terms of the bracket and what teams are going to end up playing who. But it looks like, for the most part, it, I think that we know most of the playoff teams that we're going to end up seeing and then, like you said, Arizona and St. Louis battling it out for the last spot in the West. Uh, Dallas and Nashville likely battling it out in the Central. And then whether or not Calgary will be able to catch Montreal, we'll have to wait and see. And then, like you said, I think those four teams in the East, those are probably going to be it. So, really, I think right now it's just going to come down to who's seated where and what matchups we're going to see in the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch these last few games there. And hockey will be awesome to watch. But let's 
hop on a plane, we will fly down to one of our other favorite sports to watch, and that is footy. Round five is in the books. And to say this round was hard to describe may be the understatement of the century with some very, very interesting results. Uh, Brad, I mean, I, I got to ask her, I mean, did some of these results surprise you as much as they did me? Yeah, there were a couple that really stood out. I, th- I think that one of them for me was Fremantle winning at the Adelaide Oval by 12 points. That was huge for them. And then the 86-point shellacking of the St. Kilda Footy Club by the Richmond Tigers. I think that was really big for me. And that, that kind of goes to show that for the Saints, it – It's not looking like anything's working right right now. And then what I said last week in don't push the panic button, Richmond, that definitely, definitely worked. So we'll kind of go through these. But, yeah, let let, that that Richmond game really, really shocked me that St. Kilda played that poorly. Yeah, we'll jump right into it. Richmond beat St. Kilda 134 to 48-86 point drubbing in, in Unfortunately, that win against West Coast is looking more and more like an enigma. The more I look at this, because an absolutely pitiful pitiful performance, the St. Kilda team just does not look like they want it as much as Richmond did. And this Richmond team kind of took their anger out of a couple of bad losses uh, the previous two weeks, and they kind of took it out on the St. Kilda footy club. Oh, definitely. They 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 opened the lid on the second half and they just completely piled it on and honestly i was surprised that they didn't get to a, to 150 and end up big, making the margin 100 points because the rate it was going i figured that it was going to end up getting to a 100 point game but i, I think that the big thing here is where does st kilda go from here and how do they rebound from that they're they're going to have to really do a little bit of self reflection and kind of examine what they need to do to make themselves better and how everybody else needs to play better. And then on the other side for the Tigers, that's the, that's just the Tigers for you. I mean, that you go and have a bad performance one week, you come out and win by 86 the next. So mm-hmm. that's huge for Richmond. And I, I did figure that Richmond ended up coming back and winning. I didn't think that it would be by this much. Yeah. I, I was hoping St. Kilda would put up much more of a fight, but unfortunately they didn't. So we'll hop out. We'll jump out to Optus Stadium as the West Coast Eagles take down the Collingwood Magpies. 103-76, a 27-point win. And I'm not sure what uh, what is more focused on, the fact that Collingwood with another not-so-good performance or the fact that two of their superstars get go down injured and then get caught on a camera taking their phones out of a set lockbox and getting the club fined for it because of rules saying that they cannot have their phones on them or use them 20 minutes before the match or during the match, and then not until after the match is complete before they can use their phones after former Collingwood Magpie Jaden Stevenson was caught betting on a match that he was going to play in. So... I don't know what's what's more of the sting, the fact that another bad loss to a West Coast Eagles team that is injured but is still playing very, very well, or this $20,000 fine and continued lack of leadership at the Pies. I think that this kind of just sh- just sums up the entire men's program at Collingwood right now. It just the, – there is so much – there is such a lack of of unity, of leadership – of style and of determination uh, in this Collingwood dressing room. And it's really concerning for Pies fans and forget about the fact that you lost again. I mean, yes, you you lost to West coast. A lot of teams lose to West coast, but now you're you're down to one and four. Your, Your coach has been on the hot seat all year. First for allegation for the racism allegations and the do better report that was published. And now for the fact that, you got rid of several star players. You got rid of Trelaw. You got rid of Stevenson in the offseason, and now you're at one and four to start the year. So now your list selection is coming into massive scrutiny, and your players right now are just not not playing well. There, you make several lineup changes heading into this game. You take Cox out. You take a couple of other players out. And you couple you blood a couple new guys in. 
And now it just doesn't seem like kind of like with St. Kilda, but I think to a bigger extent that just, they can't get anything right right now. Nothing right off the field and nothing right on the field. And I, I think that Collingwood are, are going to need to get rid of Buckley at the end of the season. And quite frankly, he might be gone before the season ends at the rate that things are going right now, because there, there is no identity for the Collingwood men's team right now. And it, it's quite ridiculous what they're what they're going through right now they've got a lot of stuff to a lot of stuff to fix Mm -hmm. completely agree unfortunately i i i have a feeling they may keep bucks through the season but with his contract coming out quite soon i have a feeling that i think he he may walk at the end of this year if if it if it stays the way it is going we'll hop over to um what quite frankly is the Western Bulldogs showing off as they beat this the Gold Coast Suns 118 to 56. And this was a game of three quarters versus one. For three quarters, the Bulldogs were absolutely dominant. For the third quarter, Gold Coast Suns made it a game until the fourth quarter when Western said, I don't think so. So a 118 to 56, a 62 point lead. I mean, it's hard to say that the Western Bulldogs are not the best team currently in the AFL. Yeah. And I think that if they had played a four quarter game, they could have won by a hundred here. I think that the third quarter kind of took a little bit of the bite. You could say no pun intended right there out of, out of the dogs for this game. But I definitely agree with you that right now they're definitely be on top of my power rankings They're on top of the ladder for a reason. They are absolutely astounding. Their midfield is just dominant. They have good goal kickers up forward. They have superstar power like I was talking about earlier. And they, they just have everything going right now. They, they've got kind of like exactly what I was saying about Collingwood. Reverse it for the Western Bulldogs right now. And I think that that team is completely set up for a very, very good season. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. It's oh man, this this Bulldogs team just looks absolutely dangerous. But the biggest thing I say here now going into it is is that when they start playing the Richmonds, when they start playing the Ports, and we're really gonna see how this team goes. But right now, they are the hottest team in the AFL. Let's jump to it. I know we probably don't want to talk about it. But unfortunately, our Swans fell this weekend out of the realm, the undefeated, dropping to, unfortunately, our bitter rivals, the, the GWS Giants, 71-69, a two-point loss. And man, this one stung because Sydney played so well for many, many points of this game. Unfortunately, they lose Hickey to a PCL injury off, off the, knee, the knee knock with him and Mumford in the ruck competition. And from then on, really, this game started to really flip on its head. Um, GWS started getting over in the midfield. Our midfielders were having trouble getting the footy, and it just kind of they peppered and peppered our goal until finally the the dam broke late with only about 90 seconds left. GWS kicks a late goal with Kelly kicking an impossible angle goal. I gotta give him I gotta give him props on that one. Pretty goal, and Sydney just could not get enough momentum with the footy to have a chance to shot on goal. Um, so unfortunately the Sydney Swans fall by two, but I'm not going to sit here and say that the season is over. It's not. I think this was just injuries hit at the worst possible time. We also lose Buddy Franklin to a bone bruise, but I knew he was probably going to be sitting either this week or next. So it's not as massive a, a blow as I think many people think it is. I think this may let McDonald get a shot. McLean will come in. Sinclair will come in for Hickey. So I think the Swans will be okay. I don't want to overreact to one loss that I think was a really good game. I think this GWS team is starting to get going now. Yeah, I got to say, watching the watching the fourth quarter of this game is kind of like, you know when you're at the dentist and you have a tooth that's really aching you and they need to pull it and they're just like pulling and pulling and pulling and it's not coming off yet, it's not coming out yet, and then boom, right at the end. It, it was a it was a painful one to watch the last little bit of that game trying to hold on and then they end up losing right at the end. But kind of like what you said, this isn't a panic button moment for the Swans. I, I really don't think so. I think that especially going into next week, though, it is a winnable game, knock on wood. So this is the next one coming up is is really important that they're able to bounce back because if you lose this next game to Gold Coast, you'd be going into games against Geelong and Melbourne. And those two teams are in really good form right now. You you got to make sure that you go into that into those two games against top level opposition 
riding a good wave of momentum. So I'm not pushing the panic button yet, but it is a necessary reset. They, they definitely need to make sure that they're, they're grounded and they're ready to go for Gold Coast because you can't take that Gold Coast team lightly, especially if you saw the way they played against the Dogs in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. If they can play anything like that, they're going to give Sydney trouble. Yeah, it is a learning experience game, but I, I still think with Gold Coast lack of a Ruckman, I think Sinclair comes in and does just fine. I think he makes the same kind of impact that Hickey does. Yes, Franklin's not going to be there, but I think they bring in Robot. I think they bring in Robottom as well and McLean in Franklin's spot. So I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be fine. It's just – it is unfortunately there was a few way too many people jumping off a cliff after this one that I'm like just calm down just the tiniest bit. So we jump from there. We'll we'll go back down to Melbourne and Carlton hosting Port Adelaide and Port Adelaide get the 96 to 68 a 28 point lead for Port Adelaide and this Carlton's abysmal season just continues. Yeah, I wasn't on board with the Teague train at the start of the year, and I'm definitely not on it right now. It was definitely a, a outclassing performance by Port Adelaide. It might not have necessarily reflected that entirely on the scoreboard, but there was just no real belief in that Carlton team that they could get over the last little hump and be able to really compete with Port truly. And you, you got to say, the, the big players in that Port side showed up and the big players in the Carlton team just weren't there. So you, you got Port Adelaide, who I think are definitely a premiership contender, and Carlton, who are still struggling to find a bit of an identity, and they, they really need to figure it out right now. Yeah, it, it'll be quite interesting to see how this Carlton team responds because they're just they're not playing good footy right now, and, and unfortunately their schedule does not lighten up anymore. Let's jump up to the GABA, to the soaking wet, downpouring GABA as the Brisbane Lions take down Essendon 102 to 45, a 57 point lead. And are the Brisbane Lions finally, finally starting to play like many people thought they were going to be a potential, a potential finals team and maybe even a flag contender? I, I think that they're on their way. I don't think they're fully there yet. But I, I do think the Brisbane are, are riding the ship right now. I think that they still need to win a couple more to be truly back into contention for finals and getting back into grand final potential contention. But it's a very good stepping stone. It's, it, was a, it was a win that they needed to have against an Essen team that have been pretty lackluster and really just obliterated in terms of injuries this year. And then getting the likes of Hipwood, Danaher, and McCarthy – in there with two goals each and then Lockie Neal, of course, in there as well. So this is a Brisbane team that, that has the talent and they have the pieces that they need to be able to compete and they just have to keep winning games right now. And if they do, then they're going to be back in contention. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this is a great game. And then the best part is, is that this, this just gives them momentum as the season goes on. Now that they're, they're back at home, they're not having to play all their games in Victoria. So it'll be quite interesting to watch this continue now let's jump down we'll go over to adelaide where frio finds a way to go into the adelaide oval and pull out a massive victory 84 72 a 12 point lead for the frio dockers and this dockers team as ravaged as they have been with injuries finds a way to knock off a crows team that has been playing really really good footy these first four weeks of the season and quietly, Fremantle are right now three and two. They're up at 12 points right now in the ladder, and they're right behind Geelong. So quietly, Fremantle have kind of put themselves into contention. And if they can keep winning, they've got a game against North Melbourne coming up, which is a definitely a winnable game for, for Frio. They, they could be in, in contention for finals. I know that you were backing them earlier in the year, and I kind of wrote that off a little bit. But now I'm kind, of, I'm kind of believing a little bit more now that Fife's back, and especially once they start to get a couple more of their injured players back, Frio might actually be a little bit more of a tough out than I would have originally anticipated. Yeah, I, I think this Frio team, I think, is slowly starting to get healthy at the right time. They're, they're getting healthy right as we go into that kind of mid-year mid-year type of when teams are starting to lose players more with injury they're starting to get them back so i'm very very interested to see how this frio team goes against and they've been blessed this week with a nice opponent we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second so we'll jump from there let's jump down to the mcg 
and and I got to I got to admit this. If you first look at this score, you'd think this game was a blowout. But I, we'll, we'll we'll address it in just a second. Melbourne beats Hawthorne one hundred four fifty four a fifty point win. But sir, would you believe me if I told you that just a little bit into the fourth quarter, Hawthorne was only down four points. Eight goals in the final quarter will do that to you. That'll that'll really run the score the other way, and. They, they were able to outkick Hawthorne eight goals to two in that last quarter, and it's a huge, huge win for Melbourne. They remain unbeaten up, up on top of the ladder with Western Bulldogs one and two. So this is a Melbourne team that, that quietly speaking as well, they've been, they've been racking up the wins, and we've started to get a little bit further and further into, into them. And now they're definitely in contention for not only for finals, but if they keep this up, they could be a – a, a potential to win a couple of finals matchups and potentially go after with a shot at getting into a grand final if they can keep this up. Yep. And the best part is this week they get their they get their litmus test this week. We will discuss that in just a bit. And the final game of the round, another one just like Melbourne versus Hawthorne. I think this final score is a little bit misleading on how this game went as the Geelong Cats beat the North Melbourne Roos 77-47, a 30-point win. But to be completely honest with you, I mean North Melbourne at one time early in the second quarter were leading at GMHBA Stadium down in Geelong. This Cats team, I mean, I don't know what it is, but they just are not finding much success. And unfortunately, their superstar Patrick Dangerfield comes back from his suspension and he rolls his ankle, now has a syndesmosis of the ankle. He just had surgery. He will be out at least eight weeks of this season. It just cannot get any relief for this Geelong Cats team right now. Yeah, and they're they're patiently waiting to be able to get Jeremy Cameron back too. We'll have to wait and see whether or not he's going to be good to go this week, or if he's going to be. We'll wait till the next round thing. But yeah, like you said, North Melbourne were twelve points up at quarter time. They they were able to get out and really kind of put Geelong down a little bit right at the start of the game. It it was kind of a come on late thing, kind of like the Melbourne game was. So I think the Geelong they're hanging in there, but by the skin of their teeth. Right now, they're, they're three and two, but they should have lost to Brisbane. It wasn't a convincing win against North. So I think that Geelong's got a couple of things to be able to solve before they can get themselves back into premiership contention. And they're going to need to hope that Jeremy Cameron gets back, stays healthy, and is able to kick goals at the rate that we know that he can. Yeah, completely agree. They they need that help up front. The only thing I'd be a little bit worried about is he comes in, but he still needs the service. Him and Tommy Hawkins need the footy to be able to make an impact on the scoreboard. And if they're having trouble with the midfield, now the danger is, again, not back there. Um, it, it'll be quite an interesting to see if he makes as big an impact as I think many Cats fans want him to do. So that will end round five, a very helter-skelter round of footy. Let's jump to round six. We will jump into our tips and some absolutely mouth-watering matchups. And the first one does not disappoint as the up and Adam GWS Giants take on the Western Bulldogs. I mean, this could be an absolute cracking game of footy. I got to ask, Brad, who do you see taking this one? I think that this game is going to be decided by less than two goals. Uh, I think that this is going to be a very close game because, like you said, GWS is on the rise. They're getting Toby Green a lot of the footy, and he is making his impact felt all over the ground. But I think that Western Bulldogs midfield is just going to be a little bit too much, and I think that toward the end of the game they're going to come on strong and they're going to be able to win. I, I think it's going to be a very close game out in Canberra, but I think that the dogs are going to get it done. All righty. I completely agree with you there. I think the doggies get this one done. I do think this is a little bit closer game than some people expect, but I just think the dogs have a few too many weapons. I don't think the giants have the defenders to be able to stop them. So let's go with the Western Bulldogs on this one. Let's jump down. We go back to GMHBA stadium as the lonely and injured cats take on another fellow lonely and injured team in the West coast Eagles. 
I have the Eagles in this one. Normally, the Cats are very, very, very tough to beat down there, but the loss of, of Patty Dangerfield, I think, is a critical blow. Even if they get Jeremy Cameron back, I think the Eagles have so much firepower going forward with Allen, Darling, and potentially Kennedy. Hopefully, he gets right for this game. I just think the Eagles have a little too much firepower up front for this Cats defense. I have the Eagles pulling the upset at GMHBA. Well, Donnie, I think that over the last couple of weeks, I think I know that one week we were completely nine of nine that we guessed every single game the, the same way. And I think I don't did, did we have nine of nine last week, too? I believe we did. I'm breaking the streak. I'm breaking it. And, and I'm going to. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Geelong here, and I I think that the Melbourne Eagles effect is gonna come back and haunt West Coast again, and I, I think that this Geelong team still has a, a lot of quality even with Dangerfield out of the side. I, I think that there's still just a lot of talent there, and I think that that I I don't know what it is about West Coast playing in in Melbourne, but it seems like every time they go there, except for that grand final in 2018 that they really just don't bring their A game when they come into Victoria. So uh, I'm going to give the viewers a little bit of, little bit of, little bit of fodder here. And I'm, I'm going to break, I'm going to break our streak and I'm going to go with the cats at GMHBA to get it done. There's nothing wrong with that. Good, good discussion. I, I, I thoroughly, I, I enjoy it. So we'll move on. We'll go up to Metricon stadium, Gold Coast sun hosting our beloved Sydney Swans. Who do you got on this one? Do the Swans bounce back or do the Gold Coast Suns make it two losses on the Sydney Sydney Swans ledger? I'm going to go the Swans here. I, I think that this is a very momentous and consequential game for them. Uh, I think that the loss last week stung, and, it, and I'm hoping that it's going to positively affect all the young guys who were not able to really get themselves involved in the game last week against GWS, particularly the likes of Sam Wicks, who wasn't really able to get himself involved. Logan McDonald was hardly there. Heck, even Errol Goulden, he had a very momentous impact on most of the, of the wins, and he was really a little bit further down the pecking order in terms of disposals and, and effectiveness on the game. Uh, I think that Sydney get back and win. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough one against this Gold Coast team that's they've got a couple of really good players in there like Noah Anderson, but like, like you were saying earlier, the, the lack of a ruck is going to seriously hurt uh, Gold Coast. And unlike Gold Coast, we still have a, a healthy ruck in Callum Sinclair who should be able to come into the side and help out. And then I got to say, Sam Reed stepped in last week and he, he did a pretty good job, not only in the ruck, but as, as that tall forward option. So I, I think that he's going to be another option in the middle of the ground there. And I think that the, that advantage is going to be a little bit too much for Gold Coast to overcome. I think the Swans will get it done. Yeah, I think this is a bounce-back game for Sydney. I think this is the perfect opponent. You would want either Gold Coast or North Melbourne as your opponent going into this round with two tough games in between. I think Sydney wins this one. I think Gold Coast keeps it close. Gold Coast still has a ton of talent. They are, they are not toothless. They, they will definitely cause some issues, but I just think Sydney has enough to, to get by the Gold Coast Suns, even up and up in Queensland. Let's jump back down. We'll go back to Marvel Stadium. Another intriguing matchup here as Carlton host the Brisbane Lions. And for me, sir, I, I think the Lions got their mojo back with that win over Essendon. I think Carlton is still absolutely reeling. I have the Lions going down to going down to Marvel and picking up a much-needed four-point. As do I. I think that they're rounding the corner at the right time. I think that They've been able to keep everyone healthy for the most part. They're, they're still getting everyone into full stride. I think that Danaher is really hitting the ground running in Brisbane. I think he's going to get the goals he needs. And like you said, I, I think that Carlton is just a mess right now. I think that they're still trying to figure out what they are, what their identity is. I'm going to go Brisbane here. Yep. All right. We'll hop back and we'll hop into the MCG and the absolute barn Block burner. Buster alert. The round, the Melbourne Demons hosting the Richmond Tigers at the mighty MCG. Here it is. Here's the litmus test for this undefeated Demons team. Can they take down the defending premiers? And unfortunately, sir, I just don't 
have that much confidence. I think this Melbourne team has faced several young teams that have not given them much of a challenge. I think Richmond is going to give them headaches. They are going to cause a few more issues. And I see the Tigers roaring back up the ladder on this one and giving Melbourne its first loss of the season. I'm going to go Richmond here as well, but I think that this is the, I think that this is going to be the game of the year. I, I honestly think that that young Melbourne midfield is going to cause some serious problems for Richmond, and I think that it's going to come down to the end. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be less than ten points that this game is decided by. I, I think that the Richmond forwards are going to cause just a little bit too much of a headache for the Melbourne defenders. And I, I think that the Tigers are going to win this. But I think that this is going to be a game that the Ds are going to be able to look back on and they're going to be like, okay, this is nothing to be upset about. This is a very hard-fought game. This is a very tough and close game. I think that it's going to come down to the very end. But I do think that the, I do think that the Premiers are going to get it done. This is one of the few times a close loss by Melbourne is not going to make them look bad. But if, but if they get blown out of the water, if they do not play really well, it could make a lot of questions for this young D's team. But I think it's going to be a great game. I agree with you. In fact, one of my podcasts, I think I had Dusty kicking after the siren to win this one. So we will see. I, I don't think I have to ask too much on this one. Fremantle hosting North Melbourne. Do we give North any chance? No unfortunately we'll make that simple i agree with you uh frio win this one okay another very very mouth-watering in matchup that i I'm, I'm intrigued to hear how you think this one hawthorne hosting adelaide this is this is a tough one I, I'm, I'm tempted to potentially go with hawthorne here but i i do like the i, I do like the way that adelaide is been playing so far this year I think they go down to Tasmania. and I think that Adelaide is going to end up pulling it out um, I think that early on it's going to be a bit of a back and forth game but I think that there's going to be a run of like four or five goals where Adelaide just slowly start to pull away and then it ends up just becoming a little bit too much for the crow for the Hawks so I'm, I'm going to go with the Crows here to rule the roost in Tasmania all right. Well, this time I will I will be on the other side. I think Hawthorne wins this one. The fact that Taylor Walker still has that calf injury and it really, really did affect Taylor Walker in that game against Frio. Frio really started to get going once Taylor Walker had that injury because he wasn't getting to the marks. He wasn't as explosive as he normally is. Going down to Tassie, that's not an easy trip. Hawthorne plays Tasmania really, really well. Adelaide is not always as strong on the road as they are at home. I'm going to give the Hawks this one. I, I think I think Coach finds a way to pull this one off, and I think the Hawks pull the semi-bit of an upset here. I have the Hawthorne Hawks taking this one at home. We'll jump to the most emotional game of this entire week as we have the Anzac game, one of the biggest games in, in, on the Australian calendar as Collingwood face Essendon. At the mighty MCG, commemorating the Anzacs, the only thing I have an issue with this game is the jumper clash is going to be ridiculous because both teams are primarily black jerseys. Yeah, and th this is a tough game to call, too, because you got two teams who are really struggling to find their mojo and they're struggling to find the players that they want. Essen is struggling with a lot of injuries. Collingwood's just gone through a major cycle of the of the of the list and dropped a couple of players, so I th I think that Nathan Buckley's going to have a lot on his plate in terms of selecting his twenty two for this matchup. <sighs> this is so tough to call. I, I think that this is going to be th this is another one of those coin flip games, and I am going to go with uh, I'm going to go Essen in this one. I, I just think that Collingwood is in such disarray right now. And as much as it pains me to go against Mason Cox, our beloved American pie, I just don't think that Collingwood is anywhere close to ready for anybody right now. I think, that, I think honestly, they're in my bottom four right now just because of the fact that they're just in such a disarray. And I, I think that Essendon have just a little bit more – little bit more that they can go on right now. McDonald tipping Woody up in that forward line is just such a pest. He's so good. He, he, he's always on your tail. So I'm going to go with Essendon in this one. I think this is a really tough game to call, though. 
this one is i i think i've switched this tip three times i i, I kid you not um i'm actually gonna go calling one i i know it's very very weird i agree with all your points i think this this collingwood team has a ton of strife but i just think they have the old heads in the right spots that i think they're going to have the experience factor having side bottom and pendleberry in the middle where essendon is very young um, I think is going to be a big difference. Plus, Grundy in the middle going up against a very inexperienced Ruck, I think that's going to help Collingwood get the the supply. I think Mason Cox comes back in this week. I think he has a good game. I think Mayacek and Cox have a great game. I think Darcy Moore goes back, and I think Collingwood does just enough to edge this pesky, scrappy, tough Bombers team that I think I think they're going to come out a little bit flatter than normal just because of the fact they just had a horrid performance up in Brisbane. The travel back, I just think Collingwood has just enough experience in the right places. I'm going to go with the pies in this one, but this one is razor thin. Either team can win this game. And the last game of the round, um, a lot like the North Melbourne game versus Frio, I don't think this is much intrigue in this one. Port Adelaide v. St. Kilda at the Adelaide Oval. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Port wins this, and I think they win this big. Yeah, if this were in Melbourne, I was thinking that it could potentially be a little bit of a reset game for St. Kilda, and they might be able to put up more of a fight. But I think that the fact that this is at the Adelaide Oval again, in front of the Port faithful, I think that Port Adelaide's going to go and win this fairly easily, like you were saying. All right, sir. And that will be the end of our tips. And we have come to the magical hour of our podcast. We are almost near the end. We have to pull it out. Brad, I got to ask, what is your crazy stat of the week? Well, we don't talk about baseball a lot on this show, but I've pulled a couple of really amazing baseball stats for my crazy stat of the day. And I got to say, baseball is never never short of amazing, crazy, weird stats for you. And I've, I've got a really cool one for you here. So Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers has been on a torrid start to his season this year. In all four starts this year, Corbin Burns of the Brewers has had nine plus strikeouts, walked zero, and held opposing hitters to no more than four total bases. Over a, over a four-start stretch for a starting pitcher, that has never happened in the history of baseball. Never, not once, not with the likes of Koufax, Johnston, not Cy Young, not any of these great pitchers that we've ever seen, Johns, Randy Johnson, or anybody. It has never happened before. And Corbin Burns is on a historic start to the season for the Brewers. He's really pulling his weight, and he's doing a very, very good job, an unprecedented job for the Brewers right now. And he's got them atop the NL Central right now as well to go ahead and go with it. Yeah, that's that's insane. What a great start. I mean, that's definitely going to help the Brewers out playing out there. A great one. And I think that is going to do it for our show today. Brad, another awesome chat with you, sir. Thoroughly enjoy it. Again, Ladies and gentlemen, we, we, we don't do this for the money. We do this for the fun. We love sport. We love chatting sport. We are thoroughly enjoying our experience. I, I can't wait every Wednesday before we get ready to record, reaching out to Brad going, hey, what are we going to chat about? And, and we send the script and we, we talk about it. I cannot wait every week. Brad, thank you again, sir, for an awesome chat. Definitely. I'll see you next week, Donnie. Cannot wait. And that will do it for our show, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you again next week.